Have you ever been tempted to give up or check out in your walk with God? Have you been at a place in life's journey where you felt overwhelmed and overshadowed by life's obstacles, setbacks, or heartaches? It could be you are at such a place right now, a place where you are hungering for hope. If so, then Hope Along the Journey podcast is a ministry of encouragement created specifically with you and others just like you in mind. And now, here is your host, Mark Cravens, to share a word of encouragement with you today. Thank you, friends, for joining us today for this episode of Hope Along the Journey. I'm Mark Cravens, your podcast host, and it's a joy to have you with us today as we interview a very wonderful guest all the way down in Paris, Kentucky, and that is Kristen Young-Klaus. Kristen, welcome to today's episode of Hope Along the Journey. Thank you. I am blessed to be here with you. That's great. We've tried to do this for some time now, haven't we? Yes, we have. Yeah, it just seems like your path, my path, somehow we weren't quite connecting. But here we are. It's Friday, and it's yeah. a rainy day, and you have the day off. I envy you. And uh, But I'm glad you took some time on your day off to be with me today. Oh, absolutely. Kristen is a wife, a mother of two married adult children with five beautiful grandchildren. Aren't, aren't grandchildren the best? They're the best thing in the world. Oh, they are. They are. They make mm-hmm. getting older. Uh, you're not old. Just getting older, right? But it makes getting older worth it all to have grandkids, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. They're the joy of our life. Oh, absolutely. And when my, when my grandkids, when we FaceTime them, and, and I love it because my one granddaughter, she won't say Meemaw, but she says Papa all the time. So it just, yeah, I, oh, my wife is so jealous. But anyway, oh, how did we get on grandkids? Anyway, Kristen is a licensed counselor. She's a life coach and a pastor. Uh, she comes alongside women to walk with them through the healing and restoration process. She herself is a sexual abuse survivor, and she shares her story, which she's going to do today, of healing and restoration, and is also the author of the book, Healing for Our Soul Gardens, Restoration and Wholeness After Sexual Abuse. So I want us to go back and begin, Kristen, with you telling us your story and sharing with us a little bit about the trauma and the events that surrounded your life many years ago that really have shaped you for the ministry that you're involved in today. Absolutely. So my story, actually, I I have to go back to the very beginning to when um, I, my mom was pregnant with me because that really lays the foundation of some of the things that happened later. My mom, when she became pregnant with me, my parents were actually going through a divorce. And so that was in the 60s, which I'm aging myself right there. But in the 60s, divorce wasn't as common. And so by the time I um, wasn't even a year old, my parents were divorced. And I only saw my dad a few times a year. My mom was a hardworking single parent. I had an older brother. And she provided for us. We we didn't have a lot. Um, she worked a lot of overtime. And that left me, um, like, I have memories when I was a kid of um, being alone. Like, I don't have a lot of memories of doing things with my mom. Um, There are family gatherings that we did, but I just don't have a lot of those memories. So that left me searching and hungry for a family. Mm -hmm. 
in a time where all my friends had families, the most part they did, I was really hungry for a family. And uh, we moved, um, I grew up in California and we moved to Santa Cruz and we lived in this apartment and there were some neighbors and there were two houses and the grandparents lived in one and the, one of the sons lived in the other. And we all played there. They had a swimming pool and we were all always there. And they became family to me. Mm -hmm. um, if they had a family gathering, I was there with them. And that led um, to me not realizing they had a family secret. And two years into this, I was brought into the family secret and two of the older kids in that family, they were teenagers um, and I was in fifth grade, started sexually abusing me. And that went on for two years. And I never said anything because I didn't want to lose the family. Yeah, that would make sense. You know, yeah. It was love. Uh, you know, I, I have great memories with them, but I have some very difficult memories and that really, I, I didn't know how to deal with it. I kept it in sure. inside. Mm -hmm. And by then I was in sixth grade and we moved and that's how it eventually stopped. Um, but in, in middle school is the first time I used drugs. It's the first time I smoked marijuana, drank alcohol and used cocaine. Fifth grade was the first time I smoked cigarettes. And I, I was really struggling and um, just felt at a place, um, again, didn't have a family, but knew it was wrong and felt dirty and, and, but then trying to get my life back on track. And so I go into high school and I was always a straight A student, always did well. Freshman year of high school, I did amazing. And I felt like it was a fresh start, but I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I didn't mention that. And one day at the beginning, one night at the beginning of my sophomore year, I went out with some friends to a party. And that night turned into my worst nightmare. Um, I was dropped off at somebody's house and my friends were supposed to come right back and they never did. And I ended up being held against my will and continually assaulted oh, wow. throughout the night. I feared whether I would even live through that night. And the next morning, early in the morning, as the sun was rising, I was able to escape. And I remember walking down the street, just tears streaming down my face, can't believe what had happened, what I had just survived. And when I got home, my mom had been at work. And in fact, one of the friends that had dropped me off had called and said, we heard some things about so-and-so, the, the man's house I was left at. And um, I told her what happened. And I remember that's when you have those phones attached to the wall. Yeah. And I remember holding the phone in my hand and just sliding down the wall in tears and confessing, this is what just happened to me. I can't believe I'm alive. And, and um, so I told my mom and we contacted the police and we pressed charges and you would think that difficulty would end right there. But what happened is um, I was 14 years old. I didn't mention that. I was 14, almost wow. 15. Only he ended up being a 30-year-old man. Mm. And he was a well-known person. Um, I grew up in a surf town, and he was well-known. And many people sided with him. It became um, known at my school. Um, there were things written on my walker, locker. Um, people bumped into me, called me names. 
um, it, it was a very dark time and it was a very difficult time. And somehow I had this courage and boldness in me that no, we're going to press charges. He stalked me for a while, trying to get me to drop the charges. And I just had this determination of, no, I'm going to finally stand up for myself. But it was too much. All of it was just too much for me. And after I held it together for that one year, and after that, I plunged into drugs and alcohol. Um, they didn't have good counseling back then. My school counselor was probably the only one um, really helped me even graduate high school. I um, My sophomore year, I passed two classes the entire year, and I was a straight-A student. And so it was really a dark time, and, and um, I just plunged into drugs and alcohol. So by the time I was... 21, I was highly addicted to cocaine and I was suicidal. I, I had anxiety through the roof. I was a mess. I was an absolute mess. And I reached out to a friend who was one of my friends from high school and she had gotten saved two years before. And so I avoided her because I was not, you know, I didn't know much about right, God right. and, and, and um, so I reached out to her and I knew she was going to invite me to church and I knew I needed to say yes. Mm -hmm. And so I went with her and it was a small house church on the West side of Santa Cruz. It was pastor and everyone were surfers. And so our services depended on the waves. Sometimes <laughs> it was at eight, sometimes it was at 10. And, um, but I had an encounter with Jesus and so my life was changed. It didn't, I, I found the love and acceptance that I was desiring and needing, um, but everything didn't just go away. Right. I was still addicted to drugs and um, it was a battle, um, but God walked me through all of it until I eventually um, got with some good people. We moved to a different um, city to get away from the drugs and alcohol and um, um, I got connected in a great church. And that was when God started walking me through the healing. But one of the things, you know, even in the midst when I didn't know God, even when I didn't have a relationship with God, I should say it that way. Um, when I was in fifth grade, the year that the abuse started, our school used to do where um, once a week, there was like a two hour free activity time and a group of kids if you got signed permission, would go to like a children's church. You go down the alley, cross the street to the veterans hall, and that's where we would meet. And I remember one service in particular sitting there, and I thought they were little old ladies. I probably wouldn't call them little old ladies now <laughs> because I'm a little bit older. But little fifth grade me thought yeah, yeah. You know, these little old ladies in this white building and sitting in these metal chairs, Amazing. folding chairs, started talking about the love of Jesus. Hmm. And I remember little fifth grade Christian looking at my friends on each side of me and thinking, oh, they need to hear that. Hmm. But never realizing I was loved. And one of those ladies came up to me at the end of that service and started telling me that Jesus loved me and I couldn't accept it. I said, Oh no, he doesn't love me. I'm unlovable, oh, wow. but my friends wow. need to hear that. And, and I've come to realize there's a lot of people that feel the same way that I do. And that was before all the abuse that was at the beginning. Um, 
that was, I mean, there's so much that happened after. And, and really there are other cases of abuse that happened after um, when I was 14 to 21 because of the, the world I was living in. Mm-hmm. But when I accepted Jesus, that it, it hit me full impact of that's what you meant that I am loved, that you do love me, and that no matter what has happened in my life, you will always love me, and you will always accept me, and you will always have your arms open up, the arms of a father. That's what I needed. You know, 21-year-old Kristen needed the arms of the father. And so what's interesting for me is I haven't really struggled with the father concept, like many do, Um, because even though not having a father around um, when I was, when I was assaulted, raped, um, when I was 14, my dad moved out of town um, probably six months to a year after that happened. And he left no contact for any of his family. So for 15 years, I didn't know where my dad was. So I had to deal with that, but I never transferred that to God. Mm-hmm. Um, and he came back when, um, his, his mom passed away and he was back in our life for two years and then he disappeared again. And so what I haven't heard from him in 34 years. Wow. I, I, am sitting here and I apologize, Kristen, cause I'm just wiping the tears as I hear your story because, um, this is my first time to hear you share it. And I, I had no idea what mm-hmm. what all was entailed in your story being a a dad with four daughters um i it gets me choked up when i if i when i think about what if one of my daughters that was their story i, I just can't imagine i think of my grand two granddaughters and i think if if that were to be their story um how heartbreaking it is and i in i want to go back and pick up on just something you said because i i you about when you were craving family and mm-hmm. then you connected with this family and yet it was in this connection that the abuse began and yet the conflicting feelings and emotions while you knew it was wrong and it was it was harmful and painful yet at the same time you didn't want to give that up because that's that's all you had as family and that mm-hmm. which you know, you think about a lot of families and you wonder, why do they keep the secret? Why do they just, but it, it's the new, it's their normal. It's the way they grew yeah. up and it's their family. And sometimes it's hard, isn't it, to, to divorce those feelings and to really look logically at a situation, especially as a child in the place you were at that time. Yeah. And, and I've worked with individuals that um, came forward and talked about different family members that have abused them. And some of the families have believed them and have embraced them. And many of the families have not believed them and embraced them. So it's very difficult because you're fearful of, I didn't feel that fear of they wouldn't believe me. I felt I didn't want to lose this family, but many individuals feel they don't believe me. And often they're not believed. Um, You know, people really didn't believe, well, I had many people that didn't believe me that what happened to me, never thinking I was 14, he's 30. It was wrong. Mm -hmm. They just accused me of being a liar. Yeah. 
And of course, you and I come from a, a, a similar era of time. I was born in the 60s, grew up in the 70s, you know, back when Donnie Marie Osmond were singing and Karen mm-hmm. Carpenter was really alive, yeah. you know, and singing all her beautiful songs, you know, the bell bottoms and the guys with stacked shoes and long hair and all the rest. Mm-hmm. But I listened to what you were saying, and there wasn't a lot of help during no. that period of time. You know, a lot of stuff was just kind of swept under the carpet, or you were given a, a Band-Aid, you know, yeah. and just kind of move on. But there wasn't really the help that there is today. And fortunately today, there's a lot more help, isn't there, available for people? Absolutely. Yeah. And I I remember even at 18, I went to a counselor for about six months. That was the first time I'd ever gone to a counselor. I talked to my school counselor, Mr. Burkett. I'll never forget him. And he was more academics. And he said, I, I don't have the tools to help you, but I'm here. And so he was the one person when I felt everybody else was saying, um, they didn't want to hear about it. They didn't want it. Cause I would talk about it because that's how you process. Right. Absolutely. That's part of the healing. Um, and people didn't, my close friends didn't like that. And so I shut down, but to Mr. Burkett, I could say whatever. And he um, just sat there. I can, you know, it's okay, Kristen, I believe you. I think that was probably the biggest thing was to have him and the um, sheriff and the, um, DA say, we believe you. Now, interesting enough, he only did a little bit of jail time just when he was arrested and he got community service and was um, labeled a sex offender. I'm not sure what level it was the lowest level. And um, he, uh, I I was told I ruined his life. That was what I was told repeatedly that I ruined his life. And so the, the resources we have now, the, the knowledge and the research that they have done on trauma is um, very different, you know, cause that's 40 years ago when that happened to me. It's, it's amazing to me when I hear these stories and it, it, it angers me and it breaks my heart, how blame has shifted to the, onto the victim. Yeah. You said that about you ruined his life. I just, I remember one time a situation which I was told, a man told me about how his daughter had been molested at a church picnic. And I said, well, did you do anything about it? And I'll never forget that man said, no, I didn't do anything about it. It would have ruined that man's marriage. And I thought, well, what about your daughter? What about her life? But in his mind, it wasn't the daughter whose, his daughter, own daughter whose life was ruined. He just didn't want to make sure he didn't ruin his quote, friend's marriage. And it just it always astounds me how there's just a lot of twisted thinking, isn't there, about this whole area of sexual abuse, especially in relation to minors. Absolutely. And often the minors are blamed. Mm-hmm. And it's said that, you know, well, they asked for it, they dress this way, they talk this way. Mm-hmm. And um, there's no excuse. There's no excuse. You're absolutely right. There is no excuse whatsoever. Mm -hmm. But I look at you, and I wish everybody could see you because (laughs) you've got this great smile. You've got this radiant countenance. God has certainly done an incredible work in your life. So kind of move us ahead now because somehow that pain has become your pulpit and that sadness and sorrow has become your sermon. Somehow all of that 
has moved in and transitioned to the the person you are today. So tell us how that has impacted it, where you are and what you're doing today. Yeah, well, you know, I made a decision in my 20s that I wanted to be healed and that um, I didn't want my past to dictate my present and my future. And so I dug in and did the work that needed to be done and um, honestly went to a, a couple of not so good counselors until I found the right counselor that really helped me. And um, I just began, I was willing to do the work. I didn't just pray, but I did the work. And that's one of the things I encourage people is prayer is important, but we need to do our part. We need to be willing to do the the work and trust God as he opens up that stuff. So that really, you know, became my, my heart is that, and that God would use what the enemy meant to destroy me, Mm -hmm. that God would use it for his glory. And that if my story can minister to someone else, then I want to share it. Absolutely. And I'm no different than anybody else. So if God can heal and restore me, then God can heal and restore anyone. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what we've been through. He's a restorative God. Amen. So that really has become my heart passion. And um, I've been a counselor for, for many years and, um, Um, My husband and I moved to uh, Kentucky at the beginning of the pandemic and have just really been um, praying and and waiting and um, just some direction we felt the Lord leading. And so we recently just opened up an outreach center called the Paris Transformation Center. Tell us all about that. That's exciting. I've been kind of following you on Facebook, and that is so cool. So tell tell us a little bit about it, Kristen. Yeah, so there's a few different things that we're doing there. One is, of course, we're doing counseling, um, Christian counseling there. And um, I I specialize in trauma and abuse, obviously, mm-hmm. um, but I also work with individuals with depression, anxiety, multiple mm-hmm. things. And um, so that's one aspect of it. And Another aspect is we're going to um, be launching in the fall, starting to launch in the fall, some support groups. So we wanted to be a service to our community. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think outside the church walls. Yes. I see the hurting. I see those who um, have a lot of obstacles between them and God, a lot of barriers between them and God. And um, I remember, you know, my earlier I was probably in my thirties when we were in Washington. I was a youth pastor for two years um, before I became a counselor. And one of my hearts was about, one of the things on my heart was about, we often look at say a teenager or a young adult who's making really unhealthy decisions and we make judgments, but we don't right. know their story. So I think of the people in our community that we don't know their story and they just need somebody to sit with them on their story and help them get unstuck. So that's part of that. And then the other aspect of Paris Transformation Center is Dinner Church, where we are going to launch that at the end of September, where it's a different setting. So um, you have tables, you sit around the table, and it goes back to how Jesus was in... Yes, um, yes. 
you know, how that was and how the Acts church was in the book of Acts and how it was around food. It was around fellowship. It was around discipling and talking. And yes, a message was shared, but it was more about discipling and relationship and doing life together. Amen. That's great. I I just, I think that we're going to have to think more outside of the box in these days. It, you know, we're going to have to think of non-traditional ways to pe- to reach people with the old old message of the gospel. Yeah. And you're right, that's the way the New Testament church was. It, they took it to the marketplace. Uh they met in homes. They they yeah. you know they it wasn't great cathedrals where they mm-hmm. started. And I and I, not you know again, I'm not against church buildings by any means. We're, my church is in the process of moving to a new building, but but if we just are thinking about getting people into our building, we're really missing it, aren't we, Kristen? Yeah. And there's a third of the population that will go to a traditional church. Mm-hmm. There's a third of the population we can reach through outreaches. And then there's a third of the population that d- dinner church is how we can reach them. Yeah. And so dinner church or home church, it's mm-hmm. you know similar concept. Yes. And um, it's about doing life with people and walking them through the healing and, um, you know, building relationships. There's many lonely people out there. Yes. And I think that is, you know, that's the way Jesus did. I mean, Jesus was a relationship builder. Mm -hmm. And I I think we miss that. Again, we think somehow just mailing out flyers or putting door knockers on doorknobs or, you know, and there will be an element of people that will respond to that. Yes. But there are a whole lot of people that need that opportunity to find a place where they can share their story in a non-judgmental way and know that they are loved unconditionally and, and, and to be able to bring those barriers down. A lot of people are probably never going to trust God until they trust somebody personally. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, that's great. I, I applaud you. I hope you get all your money you need for Thank everything. You. I, I want, and I want to come down. I, if I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to wait for an invitation. I want to, I'm going to come down and see it because I sound, it sounds to me like it's so exciting. What days or weeks or nights, what are you looking to run this center? Like, is it going to be a weeknight or how's that going to go? Yeah, we're going to have, so right now, Tuesday through Thursday, I do counseling. Um, okay. I'm looking for another Christian counselor to come alongside and um, support groups we'll have every night. The dinner church um, is Monday night. So the last Monday in, um, September is when we launch that. And so right now we're building up our team. Um, and then actually Friday nights right now we have prayer. So, um, it's open and we are praying specifically for our city and our County. We're being very strategic. We want to reach them. There are times to pray for our nation. There's times to pray for our state. And, but now for this vision, it is to pray for our city and our County. Well, we will be praying with you and for you about that. And God bless you, Kristen. We're going to wrap things up here just a little bit, but before we go, I want you to tell people about uh, how they could contact you and about your book, about your website. So kind of just give us like some social media information and ways people can reach you, okay? Yeah. So I have um, two two different websites you can reach me at, either fullyrestored.love or kristenklaus.com. They kind of both go into each other. 
Um, and that's K-R-I-S-T-I-N Klaus, C-L-O-U-S-E dot com. The Paris Transformation Center, I am on um, Facebook, so you can find Paris Transformation Center there. It has our address and phone number. Um, we are in downtown Paris. And um, so I would love to see everyone. I also have an author page, um, author Kristen Klaus on Facebook and also on Instagram. Beautiful. Give your website out one more time. We'll be sure to put the link on the podcast as well, but give it out one more time if you would, Kristen. KristenKlaus.com and FullyRestored.love. Great. And again, be sure to look for her book, Healing for Our Soul Gardens, Restoration of Wholeness After Sexual Abuse. And I think it's even kind of in a workbook style. Is that isn't that it correct? is. And I have a leader's guide. So my Perfect. vision is to see every church doing groups and walking women through the healing process. Right. Well, I'm going to get a copy of that book because I think it'd be something even my church needs to look at. Uh, I think it would be highly beneficial. Thank you for being on the today's episode of Hope Along Journey. I cannot tell you how glad I am that we finally did this. And I so appreciate you sharing your story. And we will have you back. Okay, because oh, we got to get an update you. about what's going on there in Paris, Kentucky. Okay. Yes. Yeah, that's wonderful. Thank you so much today for listening to this episode of Hope Along the Journey. And listeners, we'd love to hear from you. So send us an email at hopealongthejourney at gmail.com. Let us know what you think about our podcast broadcast. And we, we just love to know what you're thinking. As always, I point you to Jesus Christ, who is truly the hope of the world. And if you look to him, he'll help you find hope along your journey. God bless you. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you would like to know more about hope along the journey, or if you would like to make a donation to show your support and appreciation for this ministry, then visit our website at hopealongthejourney.org. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks again for listening. And we hope you'll join us again for more hope along the journey.